0: Well, congratulations, you did it, right? You got the presents wrapped, you got the stuff on the tree, you got the stockings hung up, you made the late night Walmart run last night, I saw you, you're at register number four, I was on aisle 12, I saw you. And uh, funny things happen at Walmart two nights before Christmas when you're there after midnight. Uh, But anyway, you, you got it done, you got the cakes baked, you got the pies all taken care of, You got. Uh, the food already, and you're good to go, and you can just go. Whew. Or you're in hardcore panic mode right now, <laughs> and you're like, "Dear Lord Jesus, can you please figure out a way to make all this mess get straightened out before uh, seven o'clock tomorrow morning, or it's seven o'clock tonight?" Because you're sitting there going, "Hey preacher, you better not talk long. I got people coming to the house, right." So, anyway, regardless where you might be on the spectrum with with Christmas, you know, Christmas is really simple. We try and make it very complicated, but it's really uh, really very simple. Uh, Christmas is all about God sending his son, Jesus, so that Jesus could live a life here, die for our sin, and we could live with God forever. That's it. It's really simple. Uh, God sent Jesus so that we could have a personal relationship with God. It's amazing. Really simple. This is Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So this afternoon, I want to take just a few minutes, and let's talk about Christmas. Christmas is for you. So, Arthur, where do you get that? Well, I get that right out of the Bible. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So Christmas is for you. If you've ever been lonely, Christmas is for you. If you've ever been afraid, Christmas is for you. If you've ever been scared, Christmas is for you. If you ever feel like that you've been abandoned, neglected, forgotten, betrayed, walked on, stomped on, kicked in the face, Christmas is for you. Christmas is for you. God would have sent his son To be born here, to die on a cross, if you were the only person who lived here, he would have sent his son just for you. So Christmas is for you. And Jesus came for you. God loved you so much that he sent his only son. And he said, I'm sending my son for you. So Jesus came for you. And there are lots of reasons that Jesus came. I think we would probably come up with a couple zillion if we really worked at it long enough. But this afternoon, i want to take just a few minutes and share with you four reasons that I think are really important for us to remember at Christmas of why Jesus came. So number one is Jesus came to bring out who God is. Jesus came to bring out who God is. What am I talking about? He came so that we could see who God is. He came to show us who God is because everybody's got different ideas about who God is. You know, some of us, we, we think that, uh, you know, that, that God is, is like the, you know, he's like the impersonal Star Wars kind of God, you know, may the force be with you. kind of God, and he's just sort of there, out there somewhere, and, you know, he really doesn't do anything, but if we ever get in a real pinch, he'll show up, but the truth is, he's a very personal God, uh, and it's not an impersonal God at all, you know, and then uh, other people think that he's just like an old man, because they say, well, you know, he's been around since before the beginning of time, so he's got to be old, and so because he's old, he's not as fast as he used to be, not as strong as he used to be, not as smart as he used to be, you know, he's kind of like rolling around in a wheelchair and eating a lot of oatmeal, but, you know, whatever, and, you know, and really, that's, that's not who he is. Uh, but sometimes we kind of think that he's that way. Uh, sometimes we think that, that God is like, uh, uh, th- like the man upstairs. Uh, I, I watch a lot of sports, and some guy scores three touchdowns or, you know, scores 28 points, hangs... Uh, um, you know, hands out, I don't know, eight or 10 assists and got another 10 rebounds. And so somebody interviews him at the end of the game and says, well, uh, tell me, what did it feel like to score 28 points tonight? He said, well, before anything else, I just want to tell you that I just want to give thanks to the man upstairs. So I'm like, that sounds creepy. He's like, got some guy who lives upstairs in your house that you can't get to leave. And you've called the police 14 times to get that guy out of your house and he can't leave. So he's, you know, God's not like the man upstairs. Um, and, you know, or some of think that he's just some angry judge and that God is just i see you. And, you know, and just stop it. I'll put you in the corner. You're going to sit on the step. You're getting time out. Not for five minutes, five years. You're getting time out. And, and, but God's not an angry judge. And God's not mad at you. The truth is God is mad about you. He's not mad at you. And, you know, and, and, and God, is, God is powerful. I mean, listen, any rational person would have to look outside at the world and you would go, this didn't just happen by, by, you know, coincidence. No way. I mean, you you look at the ocean. I mentioned a big giant earthquake yesterday, and there's this um, tsunami that comes in. How does that happen? I mean, that just doesn't just randomly happen. How how does, um, you know, you look at at mountains, you look up in the sky at the galaxy and the stars, and you go, look, there's no way that that just happened by accident. Any rational person would say there's got to be a God of order. Somebody has to start all that. Somebody has to put all that in place. It doesn't just happen. Listen, you're, you're trying to, uh, to be uh, nonsensical about something that's very sensical. It doesn't make any sense at all. You, that, that's, that's crazy. See, the, the, the truth is that God is a God of order and Jesus came to reveal who God is. It says in, in John 1, 18, it says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side it says, but Jesus has made him known. So Jesus came to make God visible, to create the false ideas about God. And, you know, and, it's, and we've been, we, saw, we sang a lot tonight about the, the, what a beautiful name. And Jesus, you know, that, that means, it means it means Savior. And, and this time of year, we talk about one of Jesus' other names, Emmanuel. God with us. So our Savior is with us. Jesus Emmanuel, our Savior is with us. Uh, and, and so God says, you know what? I want a personal relationship with you. I want with men and women. And so he sent Jesus to come and be a man and not to stay in the comfort and the peace and the, the glories of heaven, but said, no, I'll set all of that aside, all, all the good stuff, I'll leave it and I'll go and I'll be a human if God had wanted, had wanted to relate to cows, he would have sent his son as a cow. If he wanted to relate to ducks, he would have sent him as a duck. But he wanted to relate to us. He wanted to save us. He wanted to rescue us from ourselves. And so he sent his son. And you know, uh, the, I, I, I just can't get over, I talked about this some yesterday, I just can't get over the fact that it doesn't make sense that, that Jesus would do that. He would enter the world that way that he would lower himself to such an extent. But when you realize that he did that because he wants to relate to us so that we can have a personal relationship with him, it begins to make a little bit more sense. You know, a few years ago, uh, there were some American tourists in East Africa and they were captured uh, by some terrorists. And so these American tourists, they took them and they put them in the bottom of a house and it was completely dark and there was nothing. They couldn't see anything. They couldn't even see their hand in front of their face. And then there was, they gave them just a little bit of food, just enough to survive. And, but they also said, look, you have to stay right here. And so there were no restroom facilities there, right? It was not the Taj Mahal. They were not staying on, at the Hilton on vacation or anything. It was a nasty place. And said, so when you got to go to the restroom, you got to go right where you are. And so, and so that's what happened. And so it was gross and it was nasty and they would have to sleep there. And these these terrorists wanted to break the spirit of these Americans, and they wanted to take all hope away from them. And so occasionally, they would take them outside after they had been hooded and take them out into the bright light of the sun, and they would jerk the hood off, and they'd say, run, 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 you're free, go, go, go. And they would start shooting at their feet. And of course, when they hadn't seen any sunlight in days and all of a sudden they're blinded by the sun, they would cower down like this and they would just collapse in a fetal position because like, there's no way I'm going to survive this. And they would do that over and over again to break their spirits so that they would have no hope. And so it got to the point that finally that some commandos were able to come in and rescue them. And there were just three or four of them and there were eight of these American tourists. And so they, they come in there and they said, come on, let's go, let's go. We've come to rescue you. And, and these uh, American tourists, these captives, these hostages just laid on the floor and wouldn't move in that muck, and that nastiness. They just laid there. And they said, no, no, we have to hurry. We, we can't carry. There's only three or four of us. We can't all carry you out of here, and we, we can't stay here very long. There's a helicopter waiting, but you've got to get up and run. And see, they had been told over and over again by their captors and tricked And thinking that they could escape. And so they thought this is just another trick. And so they they just laid there. And so the the commander of these commanders had this idea. And so he took off his night vision goggles. He took off his helmet, took off his bulletproof vest. He took off his guns. And he laid down in the nastiness of that floor right beside them. And he said, I've come to rescue you. I know you feel like you don't have any hope. But I'm here. All you have to do is get up and follow me, and we'll rescue you. Will you just get up and come with me? And at that moment, something clicked in their minds, and they realized that their captors would never lay down in that nastiness, would never lower themselves to be on the same level with the captives. And so in that moment, they said, we can follow him. And they got up and they ran out because he was willing to identify with them. And so Jesus came to make God visible. Secondly, Jesus came to bring out the meaning of God's word. Now I know sometimes when I say the word Bible, some people in the room just immediately check it out and go, I don't believe the Bible. I don't care. Hear me just a second, okay? Look, if you don't believe the listen, you say, what? you don't read the Bible, you don't like the Bible because you don't believe it. Fine, great. You read things all day long, every day of your life that you don't believe. It's called the internet, right? You're used to reading stuff like that, but you keep reading it, right? So look, if you don't believe the Bible, fine. Just start reading it. Just start reading it. I double dog dare you. Just start reading it. And you can say, I don't believe it. Fine, I don't care. Just read it. Uh, and, And you'll find out that, I mean, I mean, Listen, there are people who think the world is flat. There are people who think that, you know, that we didn't go to the moon. There are at least eight or nine times since, 20, since 2008 that somebody has come along and has said that the world was going to end we're still here. And we, we read that kind of stuff. We hear about that kind of stuff, so, but, but we keep reading it. So, look, if you just say you don't read the Bible, fine. Just, you know, I double-dog dare you, start reading it. See what happens. Here's what, it's what's really important is you've got to determine, you've got to decide whether Jesus is who he said he is or whether he's not who he said he is. That's what you've got to determine. Don't get hung up on, well, I believe the Bible, I don't believe the Bible. Don't don't get hung up on that. You've got to determine first whether you believe Jesus is who he says he is or not. See, and Jesus said he's the way and the truth and the life. And in John 8, 32, he says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so you determine whether Jesus is true or not and when you determine that Jesus is true, you'll find out that what Jesus did is every single thing he did is fulfilled in Scripture. When a prophecy was uttered, spoken, shared, said with people, when a prophecy was spoken, Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy. There's not one that's still, that's still unfulfilled. Every single one of them he took care of. Uh, and so freedom comes from living by truth rather than living by fear. And so Jesus validates who God said he is. See, last Sunday night, I was flying through Boston. And so I got stopped by airport security. Now that happens to me from time to time. About 70% of the time I travel somewhere, I'm going to get stopped. So I get stopped. And usually it's like for 30 seconds, they ask me a question. They say, sir, did you forget to empty your pockets? I'm like, yes, I'm a doofus. I forgot to empty my pockets. Uh, so, but anyway, they pull me out. But this wasn't 30 seconds. I was with them for two and a half hours. Okay? And I don't want you to, you and hear, you hear the way I talk, right? This is the way they talk in heaven, so get used to it. Okay, in Boston, they do not talk the way we talk in heaven. Do you understand that? Okay, so I'm trying to explain a few things to him. He says, well, do you have a driver's license? Well, see, here's the thing. I just got uh, my Georgia driver's license a couple of weeks ago because if, in case you don't know, I just moved here recently, right? And I don't know whether you know this or not, but when you get a brand new license and you've moved into Georgia for the first time in a while, they don't give you a license to put in your wallet. They give you a piece of paper. So I'm explaining to airport security guy, no, this is my license. Because, you know, at the DMV, they just print it off on a printer and say, here you go. And it's on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And he said, yeah, you made this at home. I'm like, dang it. So, I, you know, and so I'm trying to convince him. I mean, and they're going through everything. They're opening every, the suitcase, I mean, laying everything out, you know, and, and, and smelling it and sniffing it and rubbing it and doing 4,000 other things with it. I'm just like, you know, the whole time. And, I'm, and I, finally, I said, would you look at my passport, and he says, well, yes. And one of the other things, I, I had a little phone in there. that I just use in Africa? He said, what's this for? And I said, it's a phone I use in Africa. He says, well, turn it on. I said, it doesn't work here. So now I should never have said that. <laughs> Problems. So, so in, anyway, so what, what, what happens is I said, look at my passport. And so I talked to his boss, his boss, his boss. I went four times up the, up the food chain. And so finally, he, looks, he says, oh, well, this is who it says you are. I'm like, Yes because that passport it validated who I am and the Bible validates who Jesus is. And so when he says that, that he came to save us and to change us and to rescue us, it's truth, it's truth, it validates All you gotta do is look at it. So if you don't believe it, start reading it and you'll find out that Jesus validates the Bible and the Bible validates Jesus. John eight twelve says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And we get that. We understand that because, look, light illuminates uh, things. Light brings warmth to things. We understand that. You know, when things are cold and you bring some light to it, it warms it up. Uh, Light causes growth. Nothing grows without light. Uh, Everything has to have light to grow. Even spiritually speaking, you have to have light to grow. Uh, Light conquers darkness. Uh, We know all these things. Uh, You know, when you came in this evening, you got a glow stick. Don't do anything with it yet. But I love these glow sticks because it's an object lesson. And every single time that I see a glow stick, I think about the fact that light breaks the power of sin in our lives. Like, just listen. Yeah, Something breaks and then light comes. It's just a simple object lesson. But it reminds me every single time that I see that. Number three, Jesus came to bring lost people home. Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, some people say, well, I don't, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am. I'm at 365 uh, Industrial Park, Internet, me, International Park, then in Georgia, 30265. That's, that's where I am. I know that. I'm not talking about where you're at spatially. I'm talking about where you're at spiritually. You say, well, don't hang a label on me. I don't like people hanging labels on me. Look, it's not a bad thing. Lost is a term of endearment. It means that you're valuable, that God sees you as being very valuable. Look, you don't lose a paperclip. If you, you know, you don't turn your house upside down trying to find a paperclip. You misplaced a paperclip. If you lose a dollar bill, you don't care about losing a dollar. You're like, well, I got another one. You know, but eventually something gets to the point where there's enough value. You say, well, I, w- I would look for it. It's important. So somebody is sitting on a chair with a $50 bill taped to the bottom of it. Did you find it? Yes. yes! See, that would be much faster than three o'clock service. Right? It was worth it. It's worth looking for, right? Look, we're lost because we've disobeyed God and we followed our own way. We've broken God's law. And you know And so God looks at us. Because see, I said that just a minute ago, and I said, There's a fifty dollar bill taped to the bottom of a chair, and most of you just stared at me like I had a horn growing out of the front of my head. Like, he's a liar. He is lying at Christmas. That's what you're saying, because you just kidding, because you didn't look, right? But look, God says that you are so much more valuable than a $50 bill, and if you are far from home, spiritually speaking, it's like, look, I want you to come home. I so much want you to come home. He's waiting for you. If you'll just look in his direction, he'll come running towards you. That's what's going to happen. You know, I can't believe this, but I'm going to read a little bit of a poem, (laughs) So, this is not my deal. So, I haven't done this since high school, so bear with me. He says, if our greatest need would have been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need would have been money, he would have sent an economist. If our greatest need would have been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. Why? Because you need forgiveness, and so God sent his son for you. Number four, Jesus came to bring God's love to you. In John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, most of us understand that, right? Because you've had something stolen from you. You had a plan that was stolen from you. You had a relationship that was stolen from you. You had joy that was stolen from you, peace stolen from you, happiness stolen from you. You've had something killed in your life. Hopes, dreams. And now you're just kind of hoping just to survive. You've had a relationship that's been destroyed in your life. See, and the Bible says that's the thief, the, the enemy, the, the devil who does that. But Jesus says, I came that, on the other hand, he says, I came that they may have life and it might be miserable. Right? That's not what it says because God doesn't want you to have a miserable life. He wants you to have a great life. It actually says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He wants you to have a great life, not a miserable life. God's not sitting around trying to figure out, how can I squash their hopes? No, he's the giver of hopes. He's the giver of dreams. He's the giver of vision. He's the one who wants to pour things into your life because he wants to see you bring glory to him. See, it's kind of like this. If someone offered you a gift, and it was someone that loved you, and you know that they loved you, and they'd never been, any, been cruel towards you or tried to hurt you or to destroy you or something like that, and, and there was this gift that they offered you. See, any rational person would say, I'll accept that gift. Yeah, I want it. And not only will I accept the gift, but you know what I want to do is I'm going to open this gift. Because it's from somebody who deeply cares about me. Now, on the other hand, see, see maybe maybe you're like me. Because see, like when somebody offers me a gift, I start questioning things. Like, okay, what are you trying to get from me? Are, are you trying to butter me up? You're, you're trying to get something out of me. You're trying to get me to do something. You're trying to manipulate me. See, that, that, that's the way I think. So that's why I tell people, I said, look, if you're skeptical, I'm, I understand because I am too. Or, or, or sometimes people offer me a gift and, I, and I'm like, I don't know that I want the gift because if you give me this gift, that means I've got to turn around and give you a gift. And this is, I, I don't want, or, or another thing that happens when somebody gives me a gift is I just feel awkward because I'm like, okay, you gave me this gift and um, I don't feel like I deserve it because I'm not good enough for someone to give me a gift. But see, that's all irrational because a rational person would say, well, God is offering me a gift of having a relationship with him. He wants me to have a personal relationship with him. He's offering me this gift, so I should open it. That's what a rational person would do, and you would do it immediately. See, because a lot of times what we do is go, That's a really good gift. And I hear what you're saying. I think it's worth considering. But I tell you what, I'm going to set it back over here and I'm going to think about it. I'm going to think about it. And maybe, I don't know, maybe March, April, I'll think about it some more. But right now, I know that it's there and I got other things to do. So I'll open that gift later. That's irrational. I would tell you that God is offering you a gift of having a personal relationship with him and there's no better time than right now for you to accept the gift that he's offering you, to open it and to begin a relationship with him, a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus. There's no better time than to come home, spiritually speaking, than do it at Christmas. You know, Jesus came one time to save us. The next time he's coming, he's coming to take us home because he's been preparing a place for us where we'll be forever and ever for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus. And so why would you reject a gift that offers you peace forever? There's no better time to come home than to come home at Christmas. A few years ago, my oldest son was studying in Europe. And he was in Europe about five and a half months. And it was about this time of year. It was December 23rd. And he was coming home. Now, he had never been gone from home before, more than a couple of days. And so he'd been gone for a long time. And so I drove to the airport. And I'd come through the international concourse there before. I'd come through customs there before. I knew exactly what door he was going to be coming out of. And so, I'm sitting there and I'm looking down this long, long hallway because I knew he'd have to come through that hallway to come out. And I'm looking for him and I'm thinking, okay, I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see him. And then, I saw him a long way off. His head was kind of bobbing along and he was walking. And he saw me and he started walking faster and there's this piece of rope in front of me, and I'm thinking, if I jump over this rope, will they arrest me? (laughs) Because I wanted to be close to him. I wanted to see him. Now, that's the best Christmas homecoming I've ever had this far in my life, is when my son had been gone for a long time, and he came home. Now, spiritually speaking, I don't know where you've been the last five months of your life. Maybe you've been far away from God. Maybe you're a Christ follower, but you've been doing your own thing. Maybe you've been following your own plan. There's no better time than Christmas to come home. Listen, later tonight when you're gathered with family and friends and you can tell them, hey, y'all, you know what? I decided it was time for me to come home for Christmas. It's going to be one of their best Christmases ever, yours too. Or, or maybe it's not what you've been to the last five months. Maybe you never have begun a relationship with God through his son Jesus. Maybe you're not a Christ follower. But would you take that step today? Would you place your faith in Jesus? He's offering you this gift. You don't have to do anything for it. It's just, will you accept it? You don't, you don't earn it. He's not trying to manipulate you. He just wants to say, I love you. So here's what's going to happen. The band's going to come out in just a minute. We're going to sing a very traditional Christmas song, Silent Night. And while we're singing that song, would you consider placing your faith in Christ for the very first time? Would you consider doing that? Would you consider trusting Jesus as your Savior? While they sing, I'm going to be praying for you, there are other people in the room who are going to be praying for you too. Praying that you'll listen to what God is speaking to you and come out of the darkness and into the light. So I'm going to pray, band's going to sing, I'm going to come back out after they sing, and we'll talk for just a minute and give you an opportunity to begin that relationship with Jesus. So you'd be praying about that, thinking about that, considering that while we sing this song, okay?